I'm Nina, and welcome to the See the Upside podcast, where we talk about all things post-divorce, but also have all kinds of great conversations about how to live your very best life. Our discussions hit real-life topics that we dig deep into, like wellness, friendship, dating, spirituality, love, following your dreams, and healing, to name a few. We love to talk about everything that's fun and feels good in life, from chakras to Chanel, all of it. But we also get honest about life's challenges that come up and how to find strength, purpose, and positivity through the really hard. We're here to share our journeys, have honest conversation, laugh, and find light in all of the things. Thanks for joining the conversation, and I really hope you enjoy the show. Let's dive in. My guest today is Julie Kern of Bridge Financial Strategies and Bridge Divorce Strategies. Julie and her team help women and families create an individualized financial plan. No matter what your starting point or understanding what financial strategies even are, Julie can help. She's a CPA, a certified financial planner, and a certified divorce financial analyst. All of these credentials individually are impressive, but combined, they basically make her a superhero in the financial world for women trying to find answers and create a roadmap to living their best life. In the interview, we talk about Julie's own personal struggles with money and how she managed to rebuild her own life as a young single mom working as a manager at McDonald's. Through a powerful awakening moment, Julie found her way to financial freedom and has since been called to help guide other women to release their hangups about money, open the door to so much possibility, and shine a light on the mystery that finance holds for so many of us. In the interview, we talk about ways to start your journey to financial awareness, the best books to start with, the five pillars of personal finance you need to know about, why asking questions about finance is a really good thing, and how our culture has created myths around money and wealth, what exactly is a divorce financial analyst, and why are they a good partner during divorce with your lawyer? what it means to be wealthy in your soul, why money is just energy, and it's actually a really good thing, how money can be the key to freedom and living the life that you really have always wanted to live, why becoming open about our own struggles with money is actually your path to healing and even to helping others. I loved our conversation and learned so much about what's possible. Julie really helped empower me with my own financial journey, and I hope you learned something too. We as women need to step up and empower ourselves. Finance is not nearly as boring, scary, or complicated as we might think it is, I promise. And once you decide to demystify money once and for all, and embrace it as your tool to change everything in your life into your favor, so you can have more freedom more peace of mind, and more of what you like to have in your life and do all by understanding your money better, basically up-leveling your entire experience in this life. 
We have lots of recommendations on how to get started. So be sure to check the show notes for links to books and websites that we love. I really hope you take this as a beautiful invitation to explore your own financial well-being. Take it from me. Anytime is the perfect time to start. As always, hope you enjoy the show. Hi, Julie. Thanks so much for joining today. I appreciate you agreeing to be on the podcast and I'm so excited to learn more about finance. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So let's start by talking about all of your beautiful certifications because you're so pedigreed. You have all this experience and education and really has qualified you to handle such a wide variety of aspects of the financial world. So let's start with that. So everybody can hear what you've been doing and how you're certified. So I have basically three certifications and they're in line with the three main areas in which I serve clients. So my first designation is CPA. So my education is in accounting and tax. And so after college, I got my CPA license. Um, Shortly after that, I decided to become a certified financial planner because what I realized is that helping people save money on their taxes is awesome, but it's just one little piece of a much bigger pie. And so I wanted to be able to help people on more of a holistic level with all of their finances. So I decided to be a certified financial planner so that I could help them with their investments as well as their taxes and also put together financial plans. And then in 2012, I decided to become a certified divorce financial analyst And that designation just trained me basically to be able to be a financial expert specific to the area of divorce. And so to help people figure out the best settlements, taking into consideration taxes and liquidity and expected returns and all of those complicated things, but just making sure that my clients don't agree to something that's not fair to them or not equitable and that they get the right amount of child support and spousal maintenance so that their lives don't get financially upset because of a divorce. Yeah, well, I think it's so important to have an additional partner in a divorce that can specifically address the financial issues. I think lawyers, of course, are have their role and are important and get involved in that. But I love the idea of someone who's looking at the larger picture of finance, you know, and your and is in your best interest because it is complicated. There are so many elements to it. And most women that I know don't know all of their what everything that's in their financial court in their marriage. They just aren't aware. They, you know, don't know everything. Attorneys know the law, but that doesn't mean that they understand all of the financial implications and the attorneys that I typically work with, they are happy to admit that they are not financial experts and they would prefer to have someone like me come in because frankly, if they give financial advice, they're opening themselves up to some liability 
it, because they're giving advice in an area in which they're not really experts. So it really does make a lot of sense to have a financial expert in those cases to just to make sure that you have both the legal and the financial side covered. Yeah. I mean, honestly, going through divorce, you really need a, a team surrounding you. Everything from a therapist to a financial advisor to your lawyer. Sometimes you need a, a tax expert. You know, there are all different kind of elements and hopefully your lawyer and someone like you, your financial advisor can kind of help steer you a little bit to pulling that whole, you know, superpower team together. And it's not really about battling. It's just about being smart and clear and knowing who the experts are and everything. As you're saying, your lawyer's not necessarily your financial expert. He's also definitely not your therapist. I learned that, you know, you can't start going off on a tangent on the emotional stuff to someone who's 500 bucks an hour, you know, it's not, not an efficient, good use of your, of your time and money. And there are experts who are more trained to, to handle that kind of stuff. So I think that's really key in going through a divorce is just knowing who's an expert and what, and being sure that you focus your time with that person on those key elements that they're designated to handle. And one of the great benefits about the work that I do is hands down, without exception, in every case, I've been able to deliver more in terms of the final settlement than the cost of my fees. So, you know, and my fees are lower per hour than the attorneys. So when you hire the attorney, it's like an expense, but you need it in order to make sure that you don't have anything legally incorrect or not in your best interest. But on the financial side, I can actually provide enough benefit that it covers the cost of my fees. So it's almost like no reason why you wouldn't want to have a financial expert on your team, someone like me anyway. Absolutely. And I think there's a misconception that hiring someone additional will cost you more money. You have to view it a little differently and look at the overall strategy and picture, which is, you know, as you're saying, if it results in significant more income or settlement in your court, then it's, it's an investment just like anything else. You just have to, you know, realize it and view it that way and leverage it in that way. So you got involved in finance yourself because you have your own story of, I guess you could call it struggle or challenges when you were really young. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that and how you ended up helping women in this way? Sure. And it's kind of funny because when I started out in this industry, I thought that my best approach would be to ignore my own past and portray myself as a woman who just has it all together. And over the years, I just began to realize that it really helped the women that I work with to understand that I too came from some very dire financial straits and that there's hope. And so even even if you're going through a divorce and things don't look great for you, you can still have a really great life. And that, so that's the message of hope 
that I hope that my story gives to people. So my story goes back to being a senior in high school. I was 17 years old. I was dating my high school sweetheart and became pregnant. And so I switched gears from applying for college to applying for a marriage license and having a husband and a family. And that was, that was great until about two years later when I was pregnant with our second child, my daughter, and I was about eight and a half months pregnant. It was a couple days after Christmas and he came home and said, you know, I think I'd really rather be single. And, you know, he had just turned 21 that year. He yeah. just wanted to be 21 and that's what I he decided to do. Two in ways, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I would have loved to. I was only 20, but yeah. Um, So anyway, a few weeks later, I was in the hospital, you know, giving birth to our daughter. And at the end of the day after she was born and they took her off to the nursery and my family had gone home and, and he was gone, you know, basically forever. I was lying in my room and kind of on my side facing the door and just starting to really think about what my future looked like and the situation that I was in both from a life perspective and and from a financial perspective. I'd been working as a manager at McDonald's earning $1,100 a month and to pay daycare for two kids. I mean, at the time was a lot cheaper, but still and you know and having to find a place to live on my own and and all of that so I was kind of lying there in my bed and just some tears were just kind of streaming down my cheeks with without me really even realizing it and and this nurse walked by and she was so nice she she poked her head in and she said honey are you okay and I just looked at her and I said no no I'm not okay and that was all I, I could really say at that time Um, Because that's how I felt. I had the weight of the world on me and I didn't know how it was going to work out. At age 20. I mean, age 20, right? Yeah. Oh my gosh. So when I got home, you know, a day or two later and started really kind of looking at things, you know, it made me realize that, hey, I've got to face the facts of my situation. And I'm a single mom at age 20 with two kids which already makes me a statistic, but I don't want my kids to be a statistic. And that was the motivation. That thought that my kids are not going to be a statistic was the motivation that really propelled me forward because I was determined that we were not going to, you know, go on welfare or, or take advantage of those public assistance programs because it just wasn't the lifestyle that I wanted for us. So At my age 20, it made the most sense for me to go back to school. And so I started taking classes, but between working and being a single mom, I could really only manage two classes at a time. And so even going in the summers, it took me nine and a half years to finally get my accounting degree. And then I decided to stay an extra year. I went full-time and I got a master's in tax. And so, uh, you know, in my situation, that 
that just opened up a lot of doors. It gave me a network of people that I had never had access to before. My income went up. I had been working as a daycare provider during the time that I went to school, which was a wonderful work-life balance and allowed me to spend a lot of time with my kids while I was going to school. Um, But it was so great to have my first professional job and earn, you know, a much bigger income and also have money to set aside for my own retirement and things like that. So, So that was my path out of it. Um, Frankly, a lot of the women that I work with are more my age now, which is 52, and they've been married for 20 or more years, and oftentimes their husband has been the high income earner of the family, and they've been either stay-at-home moms or, you know, maybe with a part-time job or or a job that they left when they began raising children, that kind of thing. And now they're going through a divorce and spending nine or 10 years in college doesn't make any sense for them or even four or six years in college. So the statistics and the situations are all very different. And, you know, the settlement itself becomes so much more crucial because you you really only get one chance to do this. And whatever you agree to and you walk away with, that's pretty much set in stone. So, you know, getting the right advice and making sure that you make the best of a bad situation is all you can do. And then to have a good plan going forward to make sure that that's going to work for you is, is the other piece of the puzzle. So, yeah. And I think for a lot of women, that time is like an awake, a financial awakening, if you will, like they may not have had any exposure, experience, knowledge, they may not even know what their financial situation is, you know, and I was very similar, I just wasn't that involved in that. And I put a lot of faith and trust into my partner. And then when you go through that separation process, you look under the rug and you see everything that's there. And I think, you know, that is a nice thing that I think the next generation coming behind us is much more empowered, that that is a shift that is changing, that women are becoming more aware, more interested, more of a partner. But, you know, really it does need to be a partnership and agreement that you're both going to contribute. You're both going to make decisions. You're both going to keep each other informed. But, you know, it's, it's tough. It's, it's hard to change that dynamic. I think when it's already sort of set, you know, it's like, why are you getting involved in this now? You know, but I think it's still important if you can for women to ask for that and step into it and get involved. I agree. And a good partner will almost always want you to be involved because that's sharing the load of the marriage and it only makes sense. And, you know, it sets you up so that if something happens to them unexpectedly, you're in a good position. And so a good partner will want that for you. And it's, so in my experience, it's mostly been that women have been disinterested or just overwhelmed by other things they have going on in life. 
I think it's a combination of things, right? It's probably disinterested because culturally, socially, it's not encouraged among women. I think that's part of it. And I think, yes, we have other things going on. Most women, if, if I don't know if you're like me, but I did all of the cooking, all of the cleaning, all of the driving, all of the, you know, the grocery shopping, plus I had a job. So adding, sitting down and looking at our finances was, wasn't, you know, would be another thing to do. So as you said, it's, you know, it's, it's hard to fit that in, but yeah. And I mean, and the underlying premise is that you should be able to trust your partner to handle those things. And so it doesn't become an issue until that relationship is ending. And then you're left a little bit in the dark about where things are and how to do things. So I'm a strong proponent of, you know, the couples that we work with, I'm a strong proponent that both of them participate in our meetings. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be every single meeting, but at least, you know, once or twice a year so that they know yeah, where the money is, what the plan is. Yeah. Well, and I will say having not been so involved in that before my divorce and now being solely responsible for it, it is really empowering and it's not nearly as complicated as I thought it was. You don't need to be that good at math. That's what freaking Excel formulas are for. You know, they figure it out for you. You don't have to do the math. Like it's, once you kind of open your eye to it and start, you know, just becoming more aware, you can't unknow it. And it's really empowering and enlightening and gives you freedom and choices and goals and a plan and all these things that I really, really love and crave in my life, which is structure a plan goals, you know, knowing where we're going. So, you know, I love it. I, I think it's very just super empowering and a, and a positive evolution that it's growing, you know, it's not overwhelming. It's not boring at all. I would say that your experience post-divorce is very typical of what I see in the clients that I work with when they come to me and they're in the throes of divorce and everything is stressful and emotional. And oftentimes they're not the ones who filed for divorce. So it's something that may have been thrust upon them. And especially if it's because there's another woman, there can just be so much um, that creates feelings of inferiority and not being good enough. But then if you can fast forward, like a year or two years, these women are completely different people. They are confident. They feel like they have a plan. They have peace of mind. It's just incredible. And that's really what drives me emotionally to do this work is just seeing the difference um, and being able to tell them at the beginning, look, I understand how you feel now, but if you can just get through this in a year or two, you're going to be in a completely different place. And it's going to be so much better than where you are right now. 
Yeah. I think it's the transition and the in-between that's so terrifying and hard, you know, with the unknown and the, the change, but the change is what catapults you into that better, amazing place. You know, you have to go through kind of that uncomfortable, like in the, on the finance side, it might be looking at what the numbers really are. It could be scary, you know? And I think that's where some of my friends that I know don't want to know their income situation because it's too scary to know, you know, it's, it's, they may, they might not like the answer. So I think knowledge is definitely power and, you know, it's, you're right. It's, it's all a big evolution and transformation and divorce. There's so much, it's, it's really, really hard. And it's really in that moment, just feels like such a challenge, such an obstacle, maybe one of the hardest things you'll go through, but there, there truly is incredible opportunity in it. And that's, you know, what I love doing is shining a light on that. Here's the good stuff. Here's what you're going towards. Here's the light at the end of the tunnel. When you come out the other side, you're going to be better than the person who went in, in the beginning, even if none of this had ever happened, you're going to grow, you're going to learn. And that's, you know, on the financial side too, I mean, staying married and staying in the dark with your financial life isn't better, you know, in a lot of ways, it's, you know, you, there's a lot of good things that come. Yeah. And I would always say that not knowing is definitely worse than knowing the bad news. Yeah. Because there's such, there's such a gnawing fear around the not knowing that once you finally know, it's like, okay, now I know. And even if it's not great, now we can put together a plan to manage it and improve it. And so we're going in the right direction instead of, it's kind of like with your health. If you think, you know, you have a health condition, but you're afraid to go to the doctor, the not knowing is much worse than even if you go in and you find out that you have cancer, at least then you can start getting treatment and you have a plan and a prognosis the not knowing is so incredibly stressful and stress is so, so bad for your health. So, you know, really ripping off that bandaid. You can't fix what you don't know too. You can't solve anything if you don't have any of that information. And there's so few things that aren't solvable financially. And what people need to realize is you don't have to, you don't have to be a millionaire to retire, but your lifestyle may not be the same. Right. But, you know, a person who works a minimum wage job their whole life, if they save and enough to support that minimum wage lifestyle in retirement, they can do it. So, you know, the news is not that everybody can live at a very high lifestyle level, but the good news is wherever you are, there's a plan that will work for you. One of my very favorite client success stories is a woman who was a widow Mm -hmm. and her husband died very suddenly. He left for work. He stopped at a store 
parked his truck, had a heart attack and died in his truck in the parking lot. It was that sudden. Um, she came to us when she had only $250,000 in retirement savings. Um, she was working as a paralegal Mm -hmm. and she was 64 and she said, I want to retire in a year because I lost my husband and I don't want to work until, you know, I want to enjoy whatever life I have left. I want to enjoy it. And so you tell me what I have to do to retire at 65. And so we put together a plan which included a social security strategy where she could, I won't go into it, but it would give her a a larger benefit. We had her get rid of the house. She was severely underwater. This was like 2010. She was like way underwater. Did a short sell in the house. And then I said, here's how much you can spend for your living expenses. And so she got an apartment and then she later found a friend who owned a house and she could live there for less and she would get to be in the house. And that was, it's actually worked out really well. And she's, she's got enough money to last her the rest of her life. And she not have that much to start with. So, you know, it maybe wasn't her original dream, but she has been able to travel. She's taken a cruise every single year, except 2020. <laughs> and it's just been fabulous for her. She achieved her goals. But, you know, if she hadn't come to me and gotten the bad news to start with, none of the rest of it would have happened. I love that. Just being able to start with what you've got and prioritize your goal and create a plan. Like it's possible. You're going to have to do, make sacrifices somewhere, but it's about what's important to you. And to her, it was retiring at 65. That's what she wanted. So made other sacrifices and you know, I think people don't spend time thinking and looking at that. You know, they just don't. And that's, that's how you can reach your goals is to create a plan. Exactly. I love it. So what do you think about women and our role with finance in marriage today? A woman's role as a mom and homemaker as equally contributing to the community Sometimes as women, we discount that role because society sometimes discounts that role. And so we don't feel like we have the right to ask those questions. Yeah, well, and I think that's that's changing with the newer generation that women are, are coming to understand that they're more in charge of their own lives, that that life of getting married and being taken care of and being the housewife and the husband doing the work and being in charge of finances, that's going away, you know, and it's, it's a good thing, but it's also a a mind shift we need to make, you know, we have to step into it and empower ourselves into it too. I mean, it's a little, it's a little different. It is. And the only other thing I would say is, you know, for, for women in that, let's say their fifties who have been married 20 plus years, what we see is often those more traditional roles regarding money where husband earns the money, 
and the husband handles the investments and the taxes for the most part. And the wife's role is traditionally more limited to things like budgeting and bill paying. And that's still about a 75% of the time ratio. But I agree with you that as things are changing, women are beginning to take more of an active role, particularly as they're more involved in earning income for the family. Right. Yes. And I think there are fewer and fewer women that I know where there is a wife that just stays home and is a homemaker. You know, I think that lifestyle and that world is, is fading a little bit for multiple reasons. I think life is more expensive. And I think women are probably stepping a little bit more into their own in wanting to have their own career and calling and contribution to the world beyond being a wife and a mom. Not that there's anything wrong with that by any means, but I just think that things are shifting a little bit in that way. For sure. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the services that you offer. Um, I want to approach this a couple of different ways. When you and I talked, a couple things were really helpful and struck me. And one is the list of all the categories of finance that, that to me created organization out of something that I really just didn't have organized in my mind, you know, the different categories of finance within that someone would have within their family. And then I also want to talk about how you get started with someone, like, where do you begin? What does that process look like? And, you know, how do you sit down and create goals and create a plan? So maybe let's start with those categories that we talked about to kind of define finance within a family for someone to give them just kind of a basic framework? We break the areas of finance down into five main categories or pillars, if you will. And those are investments, taxes, estate planning, insurance, and then the overall financial plan, which helps tie all of those other areas together and make decisions about where to put money, you know, whether to buy insurance or, you know, do different things or invest or save or those kind of things. So when we start with a new client, often there's a lot of things that need to be done and that can be really overwhelming for them. So what we do is we prioritize And typically we start with the investment portfolio because that's the easiest one for us to just step in and make recommendations and then handle, you know, implementing those changes to the portfolio so that we get a diversified, unified portfolio that includes all of their different accounts so that everything's working together tax efficiently. And then from there, the second step is usually to do the financial plan because that helps us to see where we need to make changes, whether it's save more or there's a gap in insurance or perhaps they're missing an estate plan. That helps us to triage, if you will, the other areas of the finances so that 
we can work. It generally takes about a year, sometimes 18 months before everything is completely implemented. And that often has to do with the client's ability and time freedom to, you know, meet with an estate planning attorney or purchase insurance or whatever. So we don't sell any products. We don't sell insurance. We don't sell investments. What we provide is objective advice and we only get paid by our clients. So we don't we don't take any commissions. We don't take any referral fees, anything like that. So we think that's the way it should be done so that we can always give objective advice. So, but what that means is sometimes we are sending clients to meet with other professionals and we can of course provide referrals if they don't already have someone they work with, but to get those other pieces in place, you know, if you're, if you're a young couple with kids, it's really important that you have guardianship documents in place in case the two of you are on an airplane and it goes down, you, you know, you want a document that says that this is who we'd like to take care of our kids and, and have that conversation with that person to make sure they're willing to do it. And, you know, that goes to other, you know, estate planning documents as well. You want to, you want to say who should make my health decisions and who should decide if I should be kept alive or not. And some of these are kind of hard things to think about you know, in terms of your own mortality, but they're really important so that, you know, if something does happen, that everything's taken care of. And then in the meantime, we help, you know, come up with those savings and other recommendations, tax planning strategies, so that over the long haul, your money can grow as much as possible. And, you can pay the least amount of taxes along the way. Yeah. I think a lot of people don't really give that strategy and that aspect of financial investing that much attention. You know, they don't realize that that can be a real factor and can change, you know, what your numbers look like, basically, you know, that there are these simple ways that you can be more strategic in that sense. So do you have like a list of preferred suppliers and vendors that you work with that help with, let's say, you know, creating a living will or, or other aspects of, of your planning that you would refer them to, or how does that work? Yeah. So if, if clients already have an estate planning attorney that has already prepared their plan for them, it's usually best to go back to that person and just do any updates, it'll be the least expensive. But if you just don't have a plan at all, we definitely have some really good estate planning attorneys that we refer to who we don't have a financial relationship with, but we just believe that they do good work at a good price. Okay. And so when are women usually showing up to you? Is it like after the divorce is settled? Are they coming in in the middle? When are you even able to help them? Like, what is the time? What's the ideal timing for you? That's a really good question. And the main reason that I obtained the certified divorce financial analyst designation what I had observed from the clients that I just naturally 
seemed to work with the most, it was single women. That was my, that's just my natural, you know, um, group Mm -hmm. that I attract the most. So I have a really good rapport. I understand obviously firsthand a lot of the things they've been through. So when I noticed that, I also began to notice that when I was meeting these women for the first time was a lot of times after their divorce and they'd already made all of these irreversible decisions that I could no longer help them with. And so by getting the designation that now allows me to get involved at a much earlier point in their divorce case so that I can help them make better decisions about their settlement. So the best time to involve me is one, at the very beginning of your divorce, when you're hiring an attorney, which you should always have an attorney, even if it's just to bounce things off of, you want that legal advice. And then second, if you're just a woman or a couple, but you're just looking, you know, to make sure that you have a good plan in place. So the sooner you start, the better. And make it, it's sort of like, if you think about an airplane that's flying from Los Angeles to New York, if it's off just a couple of degrees in the, its trajectory in Los Angeles, and it doesn't correct along the way, it's going to end up, you know, 300 miles off course by the time it gets to New York. And it's the same with financial planning. But if you make those small course adjustments along the way, they're much less painful and you stay on target. And so the sooner you can start getting on that trajectory and making sure that you make those small corrections along the way, the less painful and the less of your own money it will take to fund your retirement. I love that analogy. That's such a, I love visuals like that. That's really helpful. Love it. So what about women who don't have a lot of money? What do they do? What, what's your advice to them? If they don't have a huge portfolio to work with that they're investing in and they're you know, maybe later in life and divorce, what, what would you suggest? You know, what would you say to someone like that? This comes up a lot and I often get referred by other financial advisors who are not, you know, who have a minimum portfolio before they'll work with you. Um, We don't have that. And what we've created, we don't require any minimum in amount of investments to work with us. And what we've carved out are some different service levels so that we can help people at different stations in their wealth accumulation or decumulation phase. So what makes the most sense for someone who, let's say, doesn't really have a lot of investable assets, but they need a good plan so that they know how much to start saving and what else they might be able to do to really improve their financial situation and prepare for retirement. So we usually just work with them on an hourly basis and, you know, spend a few hours putting together a financial plan and some recommendations that they can then just go and implement. So I'm going to 
withhold 10% of my salary to go into my 401k and here's how I'll invest it. And then, you know, if I have dependents, maybe I need a term life insurance policy or something like that. And here's how much, you know, I'm going to try to put into an emergency fund every month so that if I have an expensive repair on my car or a, a medical issue that exceeds my insurance, I'm not having to put it on a credit card or something like that. And here's some budgeting recommendations, you know, just kind of all of the basics that can help them. And then as they implement those and move forward, their investment will grow. And at some point they'll be ready to have a more continuous relationship with us. But in the meantime, we can just be there to provide advice on an as needed basis that's not as expensive. Yeah, I think just the idea of some structure and a plan is helpful. Because if you don't have a plan, you can't really create anything and change anything. And all of a sudden, 10 years goes by and you could have had 10% of your salary for 10 years, you know, being saved and going into that account. So yeah, I would think that would be very, very helpful. What about young girls, like what would your advice be to our teenagers and 20 something girls out in the world? What, you know, on, on the financial side, what would you say to to them? I have two daughters of my own and the youngest just turned 28 and the older is 32. And then my son is 34. Before girls, I think like you mentioned earlier, times are changing and that's a good thing. And my girls have a little bit of a different life experience because I do what I do. So talking about their finances and taxes has kind of always been a part of their growing up, right? So I recognize that they have a different experience, but I think it's really, really important for our girls to understand that it's okay to talk about this. And it's okay to ask questions and say, I don't understand what this means. And my 28 year old in particular is great about saying, I don't know what any of this means. (laughs) You sent me this, you know, because we treat her like a client. She has an account with us. So we'll send her something that all of our clients get and she'll respond back and say, okay, I don't know what this means. And So I can walk her through it. Um, But I think that's important being able to just say, look, I don't understand this. Can you explain it to me or talk, you know, with each other money should not be a shameful topic at all. And it's not, it's only the shame that we attribute to it. And unfortunately the media portrays unrealistic ideals of jewelry and exotic trips and mansions and expensive cars as what having money means. And that just couldn't be further from the truth. I mean, there are truly enormously wealthy people like Bill Gates who can afford to live a lifestyle like that. But there's a great book called The Millionaire Next Door. And it it's by Stanley, um, I can't think of his last name, but it really tells the story of how you probably have millionaires living in your neighborhood that you don't realize it because 
People who are smart about their money don't live flashy lives like that. They save, they drive older cars, they don't trade in their car every two or three years. You know, they do these things that, that increase their wealth. And so just understanding that it's not about keeping up with the Joneses yeah. and having the newest and best and exotic everything is just not where it's at. It's so, be- so much better to know that you have a secure financial future than, you know, to have some flashy items like that. Like a handbag? <laughs> exactly. And not that we can <laughs> never. But I really, you know, really want. <laughs> no, but sometimes it's okay to splurge okay. on things like that, but it just, you just make it part of your plan. Yeah, I like that being strategic about and prioritizing. I mean, you can't have everything if you but if you want the nice car, then you don't, you know, go on so many nice vacations or whatever your budget allows. But I will agree with you that I think some of the classiest wealthy people I know don't wear their wealth wealth on their sleeve. They don't have to, you know, they have that inner wealthy well-being that allows them to just have that calm, beautiful, you know, just classiness of, I don't know, being wealthy in their soul. And in addition to being wealthy financially too, because I, I've also know really wealthy people that are not very happy. You know, it can go all different ways. Money to me after being divorced is freedom and peace of mind. It's not the nice car. It's not the giant home or the fancy vacations. It's just having freedom, being able to live the life I want to live. And that's what drives me financially now. Right. And that's such a healthier attitude than some people have. And it's, it's hard to under, to get there unless we can have these conversations. So I really love that you are interested in helping figure out ways that women and young women can have these conversations about money and not feel intimidated or inferior, but can, you know, lift everybody up and help us all to be better stewards of our money and use it as a tool, which is all money is, is a tool to live out our values and, you know, just to live our lives to the fullest and do what matters the most. Yeah, I read somewhere that money is just energy like anything else. And it, it's an exchange of energy. And the, the thing that I was reading about, it was in relation to valuing the work that you do, because that's what I tend to do. I tend to do everything for free and not value my time and my efforts. I'm like, I'll do it. You know, no problem. You don't need to pay me. But the problem is when there isn't an exchange of energy where someone can pay you for your beautiful services and the value that you bring into their life, whether it's, you know, for me, I used to do graphic design. So like designing their website or whatever it is that you're doing for them, if you don't allow them to pay you, then all of a sudden there, there's no energy exchange and there's not that value that would have been there. 
doesn't mean as much because you didn't have that exchange. So kind of a sidebar, but I, I love the, the thought of thinking of money is just energy. It's just something that gives us the ability to do the things that we really care about and love. It's not evil. It's not bad. It's not even scary. It's not, doesn't need to be taboo. We should all talk about it and appreciate it and embrace that. It's okay to love money. It's okay to want money, but it's, you don't covet it for itself. It's for the things that allows us to do. I do want to discuss maybe just some simple first steps that someone could take to learn more about money. Obviously they can come meet with you and consult with you, but would you, and I love the idea of this book, the millionaire next door. I wrote that down. Are there any other books or podcasts or, you know, resources or courses online? I mean, I would love to collab with you and create a course, but you know, something like that, that would just give women a little bit more of a understanding, like get their arms around money a little bit better. Absolutely. There are a ton of books out there about money and a number of them are geared towards women and I have not read them all, but the ones that I think are most beneficial, first and foremost, if you are in debt and really serious about getting out of debt, then Dave Ramsey is hands down, I think, the king of helping people get out of debt. And so his book, The Total Money Makeover, is terrific. He also does a course called the Financial Peace University. And that is often offered at churches. It's like a 10-week course. I know CCV, Christ Church of the Valley, my church is offering it for free. Um, so they're basically covering the cost of the materials for people who want to participate because they think it's that important. Um, at, as a caveat, I'll just tell you, I don't agree with everything that comes out of Dave Ramsey's mouth. And particularly when it comes to investment recommendations and a couple of other things. But, um, but when it comes to get his debt snowball and building a budget, and sticking to it and me measuring, like it's one thing to create a budget. It's another thing to come back and say, did I, did I stick to my budget and tracking that? So he is the king of debt and budgeting. Um, there's a book called Smart Women Finish Rich by David Bach. That's pretty good. I like that one a lot. And then, as I mentioned earlier, The Millionaire Next Door, I think it's just a really good book to just, bring into reality what it's what it, what wealth is actually like for people who are smart about their money because i think all we see on television are celebrities and athletes and they're got flashy rings and gold on their teeth or whatever but in reality i mean how many times do we then hear stories later of some of these people being bankrupt you know michael jackson's estate went into bankruptcy. There's tons of stories of celebrities who, because of tax evasion or just not managing their wealth, you know, they just overspend. So um, sudden wealth can be more of a curse than a blessing, but that could be a whole nother podcast. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, 
but yeah, it's just, it's good to recognize that people who grow wealth in a smart way, you may not even know from the outside. Right. Yeah. I love that. And I'll include those book links in the show notes at the end. Now, where can people find you on the web? Are you on social media? I know you have a website and that's bridgefinancialstrategies.com, right? Yes. And for the divorce services, we have a special website, bridgedivorcestrategies.com. We also have Facebook pages for both Bridge Financial Strategies and Bridge Divorce Strategies. Okay, great. I'll include those links so that everybody can find you and follow you. I love it. And your story is all written out in just almost exactly the way that you explained it and really, you know, kind of laid it out there exactly how you got here and how you changed your own life and how taking charge of your financial life really changed everything for you, which I just love. I was so drawn to that right away. So relatable. I really feel like um, you know, at the time when I was going through that, it just didn't feel right or fair, or, you know, I had, I had a hard time accepting and understanding why that was happening to me. But now that I'm able to take those life experiences and really make a difference in the lives of other people, it's, it's just such a calling for me. So it turned out to be such a blessing. Absolutely. I just listened to an audiobook called Discovering Your Dharma. And it's about finding your calling in life, different ways that that can happen, that you seek it out, that it finds you, that it's it's your way that you do what you're passionate about. And but it also gives back and services within the world. You know, it sort of feeds your soul at the same time. And I think that's exactly what you did. I just love it. You, exactly. you've got your dharma. I didn't seek awesome. that out. It, it sought me out. You know, I never thought, in fact, like I mentioned earlier, at first when I was in business, I thought I should do my best to hide all of this bad stuff that's in my past because it makes me look like I don't know what I'm talking about. You know, I was on the bad side of, a financial situation. So who would want to take advice from me? And it turns out that the exact opposite is true. I learned so much and I gained so much passion and compassion for people in that situation that it could not have prepared me better for the work I do today. So it truly is a calling for me. It's crazy. I think you're so right. And you were mentioning that earlier, that becoming vulnerable and sharing your truth is how people connect. And it actually does the opposite of what you think, where you said you felt like, oh, people wouldn't, that you would lose credibility. You actually gain credibility from your honesty and your vulnerability and your truth in life. And it's so... I felt that way with my divorce that part of me wanted to bury that and never bring it up again and never talk about any of the hard things I had to go to go through financially, emotionally, I mean, all the things, but in kind of ripping open that wound and bringing it to light, first of all, it 
takes away its power over you personally. You know, it releases that by sharing it. And then you've created this really incredible, unbelievable source of help and healing for other people. I mean, I literally got a DM from someone today that just was like, oh my gosh, I'm 44, I'm divorced, I'm lost, and I found your blog, and it's just been so helpful. And, you know, it just almost brought me to tears, like, wow, you know, you sharing your truth and your, your story, even though it feels, you know, really, really hard and vulnerable can just really help someone. And that's what it's all about. It's amazing. Yeah. And I love the work that you're doing. And I'm so thankful that you allowed me to be a part of it today. Oh, thank you, Julie. I've loved having you on. It's such a, I mean, and I got, could talk about finance for hours. There's so much I want to know. One of the other things I want to point out that you said that I think is so important too, when you were referring to your daughters asking questions about finance, I think that's the key is not being afraid to not know that the only way you're going to grow and learn is by, to act, by asking the questions. And, you know, I've, it's so hard. I'm 48 and I'm starting a new career in real estate and doing this blogging and writing and podcasting, which I've, I'm 48 years old. I've never done anything like this in my life. And it's so crazy to be new at something and to be learning. It really cracks open that vulnerability where you you let, you kind of put yourself in a position to just trust and let go and say, it's okay. I'm going to go with it. I'm just going to do it. And I'm going to, I'm not going to know everything, you know, I'm not going to get it all right. And I, I have a lot to learn, but you know, you got to start, you got to start somewhere. The only way you're going to build and grow is to ask questions. And the same thing is true with finance. The only way you're going to learn is you know, to look at what you've got and where you're at and ask the questions to learn more. Sure. Absolutely. I can say it better myself. (laughs) Oh, Julie. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it so much. I've loved having you. Thank you. It's been a joy. All matters discussed during this podcast are for informational purposes only. Opinions expressed are solely those of Bridge Financial Strategies, LLC, and staff. All information discussed is believed to be from reliable sources. However, Bridge Financial Strategies, LLC, makes no representations as to its accuracy or completeness. This podcast shall in no way be construed as a solicitation to sell securities or investment advisory services to residents of any state other than Arizona or where otherwise permitted. Nothing within should be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice or relied upon in making any such decisions. All information should be discussed with your individual advisor prior to implementation. Investing involves risk, including the loss of principal. Fee-only financial planning and investment advisory services are offered through Bridge Financial Strategies, LLC, Registered Investment Advisor in the state of Arizona. Being registered as a registered investment advisor does not imply a certain level of skill or training. 
Bridge Financial Strategies, LLC, is not affiliated or endorsed by the Social Security Administration or any government agency. Thanks for joining today's episode of See the Upside podcast. For more details about today's guest and show notes and links, visit our website at seetheupside.com. You can find us on Instagram at c.theupside and Facebook at seetheupside. If you love today's show, please spread the light by giving us a rating or sharing it with a friend. We appreciate you so much and love sharing the positivity with anyone who could be inspired by it. We're all on a beautiful journey and it's so much more fun doing it together and sharing our stories with each other along the way. Can't wait till next time.